Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. In case we haven't met, my name is Brenda, and I am one of the pastors here at Mountain Park, and we are going to jump into a message today on faith, and this is, has really um, just kind of come alive to me over the last few days, but I'm so excited this morning to share this with you, and I want to start off by just telling you a little bit. Um, I know that some of you know me and you know my story and my history. Some of you don't. Um, I was a pastor's daughter, and so I grew up in church, and my dad, he could teach on faith. He could preach on faith like you could not believe. And I remember as a little girl sitting in church, and there would be something in his voice at some point in his message that would just shift. And he went from just teaching and and talking about God into this place where he stepped into the anointing. And it was like, even from the youngest age, I could feel the presence of God in the room and the hair would stand up on the back of my neck and I would be like, oh, Jesus is here. And my dad loved to preach about faith. And a few years ago, I reached out to some friends on Facebook and I said, hey, would anyone happen to have an old tape or video of my dad preaching, because I hadn't heard him preach in a long time. I moved away from home. I grew up in the St. Thomas, London area. My dad was a pastor in St. Thomas, if you know that teeny tiny little town. Couldn't wait to get out of there. Man, all the years I was growing up, I was like, I am moving to London because that's the big city. And God ended up putting me in St. Catharines, and I've been here ever since. So I hadn't heard my dad preach in a long time. And I reached out to a few people and they all said, no, no, I I don't have anything like that. And I don't know if you remember back in the day, like we had those big cassette things that had like all the series in them and everything. And one person finally got back to me. He was a friend of my brother's who called my dad his own dad because he is kind of adopted into our family. Not really, but just like he ate our food and hung out at our house all the time. And so he said, I have some of Pop's tapes. I'll bring them to you. And he brought me this bag full of cassette tapes of my dad's preaching. Now, it would have looked like junk to anybody else, but this was a treasure to me. And I remember about three or four years ago at Christmas time, I sat down. I had to order a little Walkman off Amazon so I could listen to them. (laughs) Spencer's laughing. He probably doesn't even know what a Walkman is. But um, I I listened to these tapes and I was sitting by my Christmas tree and every night I would put one of these tapes on and I would just start to take notes about what my dad had taught about faith. And I remember there was one message in particular and it wasn't like there was going to be a shift, man, right from the get-go. He was in the anointing and he was just preaching like you wouldn't believe on faith. And I'm taking notes furiously and there was something he said that stopped me dead in my tracks. And I had to stop it and rewind it and try to find the spot where it was and play it again. You know how tapes work? Come on. I'm not the only one who remembers cassette tapes, right? And it went back to where it started. And and I listened to it again, and then I listened to it again. And he said this. He said, I don't want to die a mediocre Christian. I want to have the kind of faith that doesn't just cover my needs, but actually makes an impact on my generation. 
And I began to weep because I realized that my dad is now had a few strokes. He's paralyzed on one side of his body. He lives in a home and he needs someone to care for him day and night. But he has never lost his faith. And his faith made an impact on me and my generation as we grew up under his teaching in our church. And all those years ago when he proclaimed those words, when he said, I don't want to be a mediocre Christian. I want a faith that is going to make an impact. He had no idea the impact it would make on me and on many other people, I'm sure. And I, I grew, so I grew up with this idea of faith and I actually desire, that's my heart's cry to you. I don't want to die a mediocre Christian. I want to have the faith to do some things partnered together with God that would make an impact in my generation. I want that for my life. I want great faith. There are times in the Gospels where Jesus marveled at great faith, only two times, and we're going to talk about those today. There was many times that he marveled at his disciples that they had such little faith. I don't know if you remember reading that in, in a few stories, actually several of them. He gets up and he says, oh, you have such little faith. And I used to think that that was sort of like a rebuke, right? Like, oh, you have such little faith. Like, I have great faith and you should just get out of the way and I'm going to come and rescue you. No, I don't believe that's what it was at all, actually. I believe he was actually inviting them into something. He was saying, you've got a little faith but a little faith is enough faith. Don't ever think that a little faith is not enough faith. Romans 12 says that God gives each of us an allotment or a measure of faith. He gives it to all of us. And as, as, even if it was as small as a grain of mustard seed, it's enough to move mountains. But when God gives us something, he gives it to us as a seed. And he expects us to do something with it, to grow it, and to mature it, and to prepare it, and to steward it. And so he's given us a seed of faith. We all have the same seed of faith. But he wants us to do something about it in order to grow our faith. It's never a rebuke that you have little faith. In every single one of those situations where Jesus said, you have little faith, he stepped in and he still met their need. He still calmed the storm. He still picked Peter up out of the water when he was sinking. Even though they had little faith, it was enough faith to do what God had called them to do and was asking them to do. You don't need more faith for what God is calling you to right now. You just need to steward well what he's given you, and it will grow. So how do we grow our faith? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the Bible teaches us over and over and over again, and I don't have time to go into all of the scriptures today, but over and over again, it teaches us that our faith grows through the trials and sufferings and tests that we will face in this world. None of us is exempt, none of us. Suffering will come, bad stuff will happen. We can't stop it from happening. We will encounter things in this world. But God can use those things to stretch us 
and to grow us into the people that he is preparing us to be so that we can handle more responsibility in his kingdom, so that we have a greater capacity for the things that he is calling us to do. And I want to ask you today this question. Are you looking at the things in front of you as an obstacle and a barrier to where you want to go? Or are you looking at them as an opportunity to grow your faith into the great faith that God wants it to be? Every obstacle in our life, every barrier that we come up to, every mountain that stands in our way is an opportunity to test and try our faith. It's an opportunity for us to stretch ourselves past what we ever thought we could believe for. It is an opportunity to grow and to become people of great faith. I wanna be a person of great faith. Is there anyone else in the house here who wants that for their life? So faith grows when it is tested. And if you look at Hebrews 11 in that, in that faith hall of fame, we see that every single person who is listed in that chapter, every single person who we would look to and say they have great faith, they walk through some really hard stuff in their lives so that at the end they could say they were faithful and that they had the faith that they needed. It was never an easy journey. God hasn't promised us an easy journey. Stuff's gonna come your way, I'm sorry. And it doesn't mean that you have great faith because nothing's happening in your life. In fact, the people who I know who probably have the greatest faith have a whole bunch of stuff going on because God's stretching them and growing them and wants to do more in them. And so often there's a lot of obstacles along the way. I've had a lot of obstacles along the way in my life. A lot of things that I came up against, a lot of things that were standing in my way, that were opportunities for me to be disheartened and to walk away from the call of God on my life. But I had to persevere through those things and allow God to use them to stretch me and grow me and get things out of my life so that I could handle the capacity that he was calling me to. I wanna always be the kind of person whose faith is growing. James. In chapter one, he said this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't consider that pure joy. I don't like that scripture. Is that okay that I say that? I read that and I don't like it. I'm like, I don't wanna consider it joy when I walk through hard things. I don't wanna consider the trials in my life joy. But this is a shift of perspective if we can get this deep down inside of us that it's not an obstacle standing in my way. This test is gonna grow me and it's gonna make me stronger and it's gonna give me a greater capacity to handle what God wants to do. He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Do you wanna be mature and complete? Do you wanna to get to a point where you could say, I'm so content, I lack nothing in my life? Then we need to let God grow our faith. We need to let those trials and tests that come along in our life grow our capacity to have faith. First Peter 1 talks about the testing of our faith like being refined in a fire, like silver is refined in a fire that there's some things that need to get burned off. There's some things that God needs to do in us to purify us so that we can walk out the call that he has on our lives. 
Can I just tell you this? Some of you know this, that God has a call on your life. Some of you here today don't. You phase out when I say words like that. God has called you to be an influence for his kingdom wherever you are. It doesn't matter if you have a platform. It doesn't matter if you have a place where you think that you have a voice. You have a voice. And he's called you to be a voice for his kingdom. And you're going to need faith to do it, whatever he calls you to do. Oh, I am so ready to preach this morning. When we walk through hard things that push our limits, it's always an opportunity. Do you see it as an opportunity to grow? When you feel stretched, when you feel like God's pushing you past what you could possibly handle, are you ready to break? Or do you see it as an opportunity to stretch yourself and to grow? I want to be someone who can stretch. Because I've almost in the past come to the point of breaking. And it took surrender, and it came at the end of a very long rope for me to say, okay, God, I submit to this process. And I've learned that I don't want to hang on so long anymore because it's hard. And the longer I resist, the harder it is. I need to submit to what God is doing and allow him to work in my life. So I want to walk through the story of this Canaanite women. There's two people who Jesus encountered who he said they had great faith. The Bible says he actually marveled that they had great faith. Two people who were not Israelites. They were not Jewish people. One was a centurion soldier and one was a Canaanite woman who came to Jesus for healing for her daughter. Both of them came on behalf of someone else. The centurion soldier came to Jesus because of a servant in his house who needed healing. And the story of the woman, the Canaanite woman that we're gonna read through this morning, she came to Jesus because her daughter was possessed by a demon and she needed his help. But both of them were not Israelites and that's significant because Jesus' ministry was actually to come to the Israelite people first, his people, and then he wanted to use the Israelites as a vehicle to spread his message in the gospel to the world. And it didn't happen quite that way. But that's significant in the story that these were both people who were not Jewish people. And in Matthew 15, we read the story of the Canaanite woman, and we don't even know these two people's names. They had great faith, but they weren't a Paul, or they weren't someone that we get to hear about all the time. They just have these tiny little stories. But Jesus said she had great faith. So in Matthew 15, we start her story, and it says this, a Canaanite woman, woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And I'm going to stop right there. We're going to read this verse by verse because I believe there are four very important tests that this woman went through that tested her faith in coming to Jesus that were obstacles in her way to getting what she needed from Jesus. So if you're taking notes today, test number one is this test that we see that she came because her daughter was possessed and was suffering. Test number one is the test of suffering. What are you gonna do when things don't go as planned? What are you gonna do when hardships come on your family? What are you gonna do when your son or daughter goes off and ends up in drugs? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do when sickness comes to a member of your family? What are you gonna do? How are you gonna respond? Are you gonna coil up and pull away and, and 
bury your head and say, I don't have what it takes to deal with this? Or are you going to stand up and be a man, a woman of faith and say, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I believe that God has an answer. And I don't know where this is going, but I believe that God's got something in store for us. I don't know if he's got a healing or what it is he wants to do, but I believe he's got something for us. You know, my dad, as I talked about, he's, he's in a home, he's 83 years old, but his body is all crippled up. He can't move or do anything for himself. And when, when I visit him, I often think it would be kinder if he died. And I know maybe that sounds awful to you, but that's my humanity to see him suffering. I know he's in pain. I know he doesn't like where he is, but if you go into his room and you look him in the eye, he'll tell you, I want to live to be 90. Why? Because he has built that muscle of faith throughout his life. He didn't let anything stand in his way. It was hard when he planted a church in his 30s. It was hard for him, but he trusted God and he kept moving by faith and he kept growing and stretching and building that faith. It doesn't know how to shut off in his life. It just keeps him going. And he looks at me with this twinkle in his eye and he says, I want to live to be 90. And I'm like, okay, dad, if that's what you want, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And I love that his faith just won't shut off. If you start to talk to him about the years when he was building the church, he'll look at you and say, I wish I could get out of here. I wish these legs would work and I could go preach again. Man, he would love to do what God has called him to do. I want to be like that. I don't want my faith to shut off at some point. I don't want it to shut off when I come into suffering. So I look at his situation and I say he's suffering and I would probably give up, but he's got faith. When we see people go through hard things in their life and they still have faith to say, I believe God's got it. I believe I will live and not die. I believe that this is going to be okay. Doesn't that inspire us? Don't we get excited and inspired by that? When people have faith in the middle of the hardest things in their life, we go, wow, that's amazing. I want faith like that. I want faith like that. So that's one way, the first way that God grows our faith is through suffering, through trials, through things that come. How are we going to look at this? Are we going to have faith in the midst of the hard things? The second test this woman encounters is in the first half of Matthew 15, where it says that she had come to Jesus. She told him what she needed, and it says, Jesus did not say a word. He didn't say anything. There was silence. So test number two is the waiting how do we respond when it feels like God is silent or like there is a divine delay happening? How are we going to respond when we have to wait for the answer? You know, we live in a society that is fast food, fast everything. If I can't get it in two minutes, I don't even want it. I'm not going to bother, right? We want everything instantly, but God doesn't work like that. But he's always at work. And that's something we have to remember is that God doesn't work the way we want him to work. He doesn't always work how we expect him to work, but he is always at work. And you can trust that he is always at work. Time and time again throughout his word, we see that even when we, with people here on this earth, don't understand what's going on, there are battles ranging in the spiritual realm. There are things that are going on that we can't see and we don't understand, but God is working on your behalf. And I believe this, that if he has not answered your 
your prayer yet, then he, it is not the right time to answer your prayer. And he loves you enough to answer your prayer at just the right time and in just the right way, and he won't do it any other way. And it doesn't matter what you expect or what you try to demand from him. He isn't a cosmic pinball machine. He's going to do what he wants to do in your life when he wants to do it. And if you can get on board with that and learn to trust his character when you can't see his activity, he is going to do amazing things in your life. If you can just settle yourself, if you can settle yourself enough in the midst of the storm to say, God, I believe in your character. I know you've done it before and I know you'll do it again. I can't see you moving yet. I don't see the manifestation of the promise in my life yet, but I know that you're at work and I know that you're moving. Listen, I have kids who went off to university and are basically saying that they don't believe in God anymore, but I'm standing on the promises of God for their lives and my family. And even though I don't see a shift and even though I don't see a change yet, I'm hopeful, hopeful, because I believe in the promises of God, and I believe he will not leave them where they are, and I believe that he is working even though I can't see it, and even though I there's nothing in the natural that looks good, I'm going, God, I know you're at work. I trust you. I believe you're bringing the right people into their lives. When they don't want to listen to me, they'll listen to whoever it is that you send and you bring. God is at work, and I trust that, and I believe it even when I can't see his activity. Amen. I just gave you my own personal definition of faith, that I trust the character of God when I can't see the activity of God. That's how I've been able to make faith real for me. I struggled to understand the concept of it as a young woman. I, I knew that it was about you know, trusting God, but I couldn't really see it. And that's how I just say it to myself so I can remember it. I trust your character when I can't see your activity. I know you're at work, even if I, even if I don't see it happening. In the second half of Matthew 15, we come against test number three in this woman's short little encounter with Jesus. It says his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Test number three is opposition. How are we going to respond when people dismiss us? Do you know there are people, good-hearted, well-intentioned people, who will not understand the dream that God has put on your heart? They will not understand the call that God has on your life. They will not understand the things he has whispered to you in the night hour. They will not understand what he's been doing on the inside of you. And sometimes when we say stuff out loud, people have the stupidest answers. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but we do. We give people platitudes and here's a little scripture you can just slap on that like a band-aid and we walk away going, that hurt more than when I walked in the room and uh, unfortunately we hurt each other all of the time. But I've had to learn that no one will understand the dream that God put in my heart when I walked down to an altar as a 19-year-old girl and he said, you're gonna preach. And I said, what? Really, me? I don't understand how, God, but here's my life. I'm willing. And he's made something of it. No one could understand that. And in fact, people came along over the years who tried to discourage me, who didn't think that I had enough education 
or experience or didn't like the fact that I was a woman and basically told me that I wasn't called to do what I know God had called me to do. How are we going to respond in those moments? How are we going to respond when even the brethren in the church push us down or turn their backs on us? How are we going to respond when the people who are meant to take care of us don't? How are we going to respond when the leaders who are put in front of us, who are supposed to encourage the gifts that God has put in our life, actually push them down? It's happened to me, and I almost quit. I actually went away on a three-day retreat. Mark bought me a ticket. He was like, you need to go figure that out. <laughs> and I ended up, he, he did send me to Florida, which was very nice. I actually went to a conference there, but I spent a couple of days in a hotel room. And I literally was so exhausted and burnt out from ministry and from work that I walked in that room and I dropped my stuff and I laid on that bed and I cried for three days. I cried out to God. And I said, I'm done. I want to quit. It's too hard. I can't do this anymore. And his answer was the same answer he always gives. You can't quit. You're not a quitter. You're going back. And I said, then God, I need your help. I need you to bring the right people along who are going to speak into my promise and are going to encourage the things that you've put in with me. You know, within two weeks of coming back from that trip, I met a woman at a lunch who sat across the table from me and she said, we need to go for coffee. And she began to mentor me in, in a change in my life that actually helped me to lay down something that had been a barrier for me in my walk with God for years. Some insecurities that I was carrying around. And she helped me to walk through to freedom and lay those things down so that I I could walk out the other side of that mess and know who I was in Christ and know what he had called me to do and be able to stand up and say, I don't care what any man may say about my calling. God has called me and he opens the doors. I don't have to trust anyone. A light would be great, but I don't have to trust anyone or anything because I trust him. And that's all I need. That's all I need. He removes obstacles like that out of our way. And he's the one who promotes when we humble ourselves under his authority and under his lordship. I've never had to bang down any door. They've flown open in front of me and I've just walked through. That's the kind of God that I serve. He's big enough for me. That light going off distracted me. I have to look at my notes. So well-intentioned people will say a lot of wrong things, but you know, God is bigger. He's bigger than any words that have been spoken over you. He is bigger than anything that has come along that has tried to squash your dreams or keep you from walking in his calling in his life. He is bigger than that. And he can take care of it for you. Do you believe that today? God is bigger. God is bigger. We need to get around the right people. I've learned this in life that it is not up to me what God wants to do in someone else's life. That's not up to me. So if someone comes to me with a dream, if someone comes to me with something God's put on their heart, who am I to say, no, you can't do that? That's not my place. Sometimes I want to. <laughs> I'll be really honest. Sometimes someone will come to me and say something and I'm like, oh, I don't know because I can't see it. I can't see it. 
But if God has put a dream on someone's heart, I have no right to come in and try to say anything otherwise. And so I've learned this very simple phrase that I want to share with you today. Just smile and say anything is possible. I believe anything is possible. If God put that on your heart, I believe it for you. Anything is possible. Don't be a squasher of dreams. James talks so much about this, that there is power of life and death in our tongue. The things that we say can encourage someone and speak life over them, or they can actually kill and squash dreams. I was just listening to a little thing I saw on Instagram yesterday from Brooke Nichols. She's a a worship leader kind of in the Toronto area. She travels around and sings. God's given her a great ministry. And she said that she went and tried out for Canadian Idol. And when she sang in front of those judges as a young girl, one of the judges looked at her and she said, I would never pay a penny to hear you sing. And she went home after that audition and she said to her brother, I'm never going to sing again. He said, yes, you are. We need to get around the kind of people who will say, yes, you are. You get back up. You don't listen to what those people say. God has called you and he's anointed you and put a gift in your life. Get back up. Come on, get back up. We need to be the kind of people who will speak that kind of life and encouragement over others to say, you're not going to stay down. You might have fallen, but come on, get back up. We're going to go and we're going to follow Jesus because he's got bigger plans and his plans are better and bigger than what anyone can say over your life. I want to be an encourager. Let's read the rest of this woman's story for our last test of faith. It says in Matthew 24 that Jesus answered her and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him and she said, Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This last test is the test of humility. How are we going to respond when we're put in our place, even by God himself? There's this great concept in the kingdom of God of submission and authority. And we talked about this several weeks ago, but I believe so strongly that being able to submit yourself under authority and knowing how God works and what his realms of submission and authority are, are very important. And both the centurion soldier and this Canaanite woman understood their place in the kingdom of God. If you remember the centurion soldier, he was the one who said, I too am a man under authority. I say, come and they come. I say, go and they go. He understood that if Jesus just said the word, that there was things that would happen in the spiritual realm to make what he said come true because he was a Man who operated in authority. And this woman, she's basically been called a dog by Jesus. I always thought this was a little bit harsh. It's like a little bit of a rebuke, right? Like get in your place. And she said, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs because she knew that if she could just get a crumb from Jesus, it would be more than enough to do what she needed done. Just a crumb from Jesus. Even if that's all that I can get, it's enough. She knew her place 
in the kingdom of God. She knew she wasn't an Israelite. She knew that Jesus didn't necessarily come for her. She said, but at least I could have a crumb. I know my place, but I also know you. And I know that you're good. And you've been moving and doing miracles. And I need a miracle. And I'm not giving up because you've put me in my place. This test is really an invitation to lay down our pride. It's an invitation to say, I'm nothing more. I can't boast about my faith. God gave it to me. And he's the one who stretches it. And he's the one who grows it. He's the one who prepares me for what he's walking me into. I have nothing to boast about when it comes to faith, except that I trusted God and I just kept walking. There's nothing else that I can say, but he's prepared me. And I wanna close with this story. When I was a young woman, I'm gonna invite whoever's coming up for worship or the keys, just come. When I was a young woman fresh out of Bible school, I was so passionate when, God, when I was 19 and I came to an altar and I rededicated my life to God, he gave me this, this dream in my heart. And I'd been holding on to that, but you know what? We want quick results, right? And here I was all of 22. I'd waited three long years. I'd gone to Bible school, you know, and I had, when I graduated, I was chosen as, as one of those, um, I don't know, I guess top speakers who was asked to do the graduation ceremony thing. And I was like, all right, God, I'm ready to go. Here we go, right? I thought I was all that in a side of fries. And this, this, this guy, I know you can laugh at that because it is kind of funny. Um, I, I, so we came into church and there was this um, guest speaker there and he was very prophetic and he was giving words to everybody and I was like, God, I'm so ready. Like, I want a word from you. And I remember he did this like prayer tunnel thing at the front, right? Where you just walk through, but he was stopping and he was giving words to people as they were walking through. So Mark and I were there and we were holding hands and we were walking through and I'm coming up and I'm like, oh, he's gonna give me a word. Like I'm going into ministry. Like this was like, I was so excited. And I got up there and he stops and he pauses the line and he's holding on to me for just a second. And he said, it's not your time yet. And he pushed me through the line and I was out and I was like, that was not a word. Like, what was that? It's not your time yet. What kind of an encouraging word is that? And I was actually frustrated. It was this moment. It was a test. It was a test of my pride. Because it was this moment when I could have went, I'm better than that. That's not a word from God. But as I was walking back to my seat, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit say, that is a word from God. It's not your time yet. And I held on to that yet like you wouldn't believe for 25 years. I held on to that yet. And I said, God, prepare me. Do whatever you need to do in me. I walked through every single one of these obstacles to my faith. And I just kept saying, God, I know you put something in my heart. I know you've called me to something and I'm gonna keep walking. It's not here yet but I know it's coming. Do you know how long Abraham waited for a son? How long Noah was building an ark before one drop of rain ever fell? Sometimes we need to wait. Sometimes the answer is not yet.
But man, I held on to that yet because that meant that there was gonna be a time and I feel like God sent me here today to say that your time is coming. The fulfillment of that thing that you've been longing for, the restoration to your marriage, God bringing your kids back into the kingdom of God, your healing, your job, your finances getting in order, that thing that you've been waiting for, that call, that dream on your life, that thing. It's been a not yet, but the yet is getting closer and your time is coming. And I'm here today to say, hold on, hold on. God is at work. That is our perspective. Even though I can't see it yet, even though it hasn't manifested, even though I'm still waiting and nothing seems to be changing, God is at work. Hold on. It's not time yet. Some of you are in a season today where you've just been waiting for so long, you feel discouraged and disheartened. You wonder if God has forgotten about you and he's saying, I haven't, it's just not yet. As I said before, he loves you so much that he will not answer your prayer at any time other than the right time. When you're ready and you're prepared and it's time to answer it, he will do it. But it's not yet, but that's okay. Because we can hold on to that not yet with faith. We can say, it's okay that I'm not ready yet. It's okay that things haven't fallen into place yet. I trust that you're still at work. Come on, can I get an amen in the house today? If this is you, if you're in this place where you maybe relate to one of these obstacles that we've talked about today, you feel like maybe there's a mountain in your way. You feel like maybe there's something that's been standing in your way and you've been frustrated, but today you're starting to see this is an opportunity. It's an invitation to God to grow my faith. And I've got a resolve deep down inside and I'm gonna continue to believe for that promise. He promised to me, to me this week or he promised it to me 20 years ago. I'm gonna continue to believe for it. I want you to stand on your feet right now with me if this is you. If there's something that you're believing for and you just go, God, I understand. It's coming. It's not here yet, but you're working in me. Just stand with me today. I want to pray over you and we're going to sing this song as a declaration of our faith, of a declaration of what God is working and doing in our lives behind the scenes. I believe he's at work. He's at work in my kids' lives. He's at work in your life and the people that you are believing for. Part of understanding the submission and the authority of God's kingdom is understanding that he calls us and gives us the right to pray for those under our authority. You can stand in the gap for your husband and your marriage if he's not standing up himself. And you can stand for your kids if they have no clue to even stand for themselves. Stand. Stand for them, stand in faith. God is at work and trust him that he is moving and he is doing things on your behalf. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory at mp.church and tell us 
how God has been working in your life lately. 